dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today, we are discussing episode 34 of the Tang Dynasty drama, The Longest Day in Chang'an. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to reach out to us on social media or else email us at karenandkathy at chasingdramas.com. As always, this podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin. For today's podcast episode, we'll start with an episode recap, some book differences, and then move on to history. Episode 34 begins on a rather unfortunate note. A group of foreign-looking men are watching what seems to be an official in the crowded streets. This official asks the soldiers escorting him to clear a path because he's looking at his papers and notices something is amiss with the names of the workers for the big lantern. But the men tailing this group creates a diversion by throwing money into the crowd. This is technically strictly forbidden because it causes stampedes and rather unfortunate unintended consequences, but that is just what is needed at the moment. The soldiers are too distracted, trying to grab the guy throwing money to notice the two other men in broad, I guess, nighttime, snatching the papers from this man from the Bureau of Forestry, slice his throat, and then throw him in the water. His body won't be recovered until the morning, at least according to the book, and it'll take even more time to realize that he didn't just drown from the activity related to the crowds. This, I feel like, is also another scene from a video game. You know, you throw some money, and then you can do your assassinations a la Assassin's Creed. Right now, we are still in that midnight block hour. Outside of the palace, there is a long line waiting to get in. The elderly gentleman, Mao Shun, sits in a carriage next to Long Bo. When questioned by Imperial Guards for passage, Mao Shun hesitates a bit, but is calmed by Long Bo before firmly stating that they are there to ensure the final preparations for the lantern viewing experience tonight. They are allowed in without question. Elsewhere, Zhang Xiaojing and Yi Si have made their way over to Chao Fin's residence to ask for help identifying where various bamboo pieces have come from in hopes of learning Long Bo's true intentions. Very quickly, Chao Fin is able to deduce from the various pieces of bamboo that only one person in all of Chang'an has the skills to make such intricate pieces of bamboo work. It's Mao Shun. Chao Fin does not believe Mao Shun would be in league with nefarious individuals and even shares that the emperor regards Mao Shun very highly. He's been tasked with creating a 40-meter-tall lantern to celebrate the Lantern Festival tonight. This structure is an unprecedented wonder and will be seen for miles around. It is placed right in front of Xingqing Palace for the emperor to unveil tonight. Not only Xingqing Palace, but also Hua Lo. Chao Fin also highlights that the bamboo fixtures are hollow, perfect for hiding something inside. They are called Qilin Columns. It clicks now for Zhang Xiaojing. The lantern is the target for all 
of the crouching fire from today's events. Just as Zhang Xiaojing is looking to head to the giant lantern to stop the explosion, Yuan Zai and Wang Yunxiu arrive with a number of soldiers. They want to capture Zhang Xiaojing and ignore his yells that if they want to actually save Chang'an to head to Xingqinggong. Yi Si, bless him, tries to help create a diversion for Zhang Xiaojing in order to help him escape, but is actually shot down by one of Yuan Zai's men. Yuan Zai further injures Yi Si by stabbing him in the leg as a way to goad Zhang Xiaojing out of hiding. Poor Yi Si. Hiding behind some structures, Zhang Xiaojing recounts all of his friends that died in the last 24 hours and of Wen Wuji, plus all of those other innocent people who died at the cost of today's activities. Zhang Xiaojing readies himself and decides to fight by the words, do not quit or do not retreat. Those words resonate once again with him. He grabs a nearby torch plunged into molten heat. He throws it against the upcoming soldiers and begins his attack. It is a beautiful scene, very reminiscent of the Da Tie Hua or the Iron Flower Show we've talked about in the past in the story of Yanxi Palace. See, that's why we gotta analyze all parts of history because nobody would actually say that for this scene in The Longest Day of Chang'an, but because we've seen it in the story of Yanxi Palace, we can make those connections. Beyond the beautiful sparks, though, is a man letting loose all of his anger he's experienced tonight in a rather bloody fight. One man against many in order to, quote-unquote, never retreat. We do seem to be getting to the right location for the final showdown. Longbo, with the help of Mao Shun, bypasses security to get to the massive lantern structure. It seems that Longbo has been working with Mao Shun for the last several months here, and Longbo does mention the official his men killed earlier to the soldier doing security checks, that he was pushed into the water. This right now allows Longbo to proceed with little issue. What's odd, though, is that Mao Shun seems rather nervous in bringing Longbo through security, so it begs the question as to why Mao Shun would agree to this. But when they see the structure, Mao Shun seems more focused on his legacy. He is even willing to help Longbo insert the correct bamboo pieces to have the most impact. Very interesting. Finally though, we turn to the palace. It's been 34 episodes and we have heard all about the emperor and Yang Yuhuan, but we have not seen them until now. Everyone is gathering in the Grand Auditorium or Hua Lo. That's the English translation, but it's not quite right. The literal translation for the tower is the Flower Sepal Tower. The structure is certainly more tower rather than an auditorium. I will talk about this more in the history section. We hear the right chancellor complaining about climbing many stairs to meet the emperor, while the crown prince and the prince of Yong are also making their way up. They take the narrower staircase, while the emperor takes the much wider one. And for me, it's curious that the right chancellor would complain about this at the evening of the Lantern Festival. As in, you are not the emperor. Why are you complaining about these stairs? 
Before we meet the emperor, however, we follow Tan Qi, who has also snuck into the tower in the drama by grace of the Prince of Yong, whereas in the book, it was actually with the help of the crown prince. She is stopped by none other than Yang Yuhuan. The English translation is Lady Taijin for her current title, and in the drama, her name has been changed to Yan Yuhuan, very similar to the actual word of Yang Yuhuan. Yan Yuhuan apparently knows Tan Qi and even requests that Tan Qi calls her Yuhuan rather than her formal title to show how close they are. She is currently in Taoist attire, which fits Yang Yuhuan's moment in history at this particular year. We will discuss more of Yang Yuhuan later in this episode. In the drama, Yan Yuhuan tells us via plot exposition that Tan Qi saved her life when she was still a concubine for the Prince of Shou, which is why Yan Yuhuan recognizes Tan Qi. In the book, it's actually less interesting. When Yan Yuhuan was the Prince of Shou's concubine, in the book it says that she fell while on a horseback ride and injured her foot. It was Tan Qi who helped massage her foot and helped her recover. The two of them got along well and became acquainted. Another change in the drama that I actually thought was quite well done is the fact that Yan Yuhuan seems much more cunning and savvy in her position. There is more to discuss about this particular scene in the next episode, but she tells Tan Qi in the drama that she is constantly bombarded by people asking her for help in front of the emperor. Even today, she's been asked by many. Right now, she's waiting for an earth-shattering piece of information, and she does not have the capacity or time to help Tan Qi at the moment. In the book, she is depicted as a more romantic woman who hears Tan Qi's story and is immediately open to helping her. I feel like the drama's version of Yan Yuhuan is more befitting of someone in the palace versus what is shown in the book. There are certainly more stipulations that Yan Yuhuan will explain in episode 35. At long last, the time has come for us to greet the emperor. Pang Ling, back at Jing Si, shouts that it is the midnight hour, which I feel like we've been saying for many episodes, but the drumbeats signal the time. Crowds out in the square shout Shang Yuan An Kong to greet the day for the Lantern Festival. The emperor climbs the stairs decked in golden robes while the rest of the court waits. Director He wears purple while the right chancellor and the crown prince both are in cloth robes. There's a lot to take in for the scene. The crowds release numerous lanterns into the sky as we see the gravitas of the Tang Emperor, Tang Minghuang, enter into the room. Soldiers line the path he takes. Musicians take their places. All members of court kneel to show their respect. Along with the drumbeats, we finally get to see the emperor, the famed Li Longji. Outside, Longbo has taken Li Bi as hostage up to the top of the giant lantern. Li Bi was sneaking around the lantern and just so happened to run into Longbo while Longbo was like, hey there, I see you. <laughs> Inside the lantern, we saw that it was an entire production of men and women putting things together. Evidently, they all work for Longbo and are part of tonight's bigger plan. 
Now the focus of the drama is on the lantern and what happens at Xinqing Palace. For this plot recap, I moved some storylines around to just fit the narrative a little bit better, but I do recommend rewatching the last 10-15 minutes of this episode. It is quite a stunning beauty with all of the different scenes of Zhang Xiaojing fighting the soldiers with the emperor entering into the palace or the uh, tower all paired with thunderous drumbeats to mark the midnight hour. It is almost reminiscent of like a Christopher Nolan movie paired with some Hans Zimmer music in the background. And there's just so much beauty on screen for these last 10-15 minutes. I highly recommend just marveling at the beauty we are presented on screen. And now let's turn to history today. There's a couple of interesting historical topics that I want to dive into. First, during the conversation between Zhang Xiaojing and the blacksmith Chao Fen, they discuss the creator of the bamboo contraption, Qi Lin Bi. The person they were discussing is craftsman Mao Poluo's son, Mao Shun. We've talked about Mao Shun today, but I don't want to get into his history until a future episode. So we will talk about Mao Poluo. Mao Poluo was a sculptor during the era of Emperor Wu, or Empress Wu Zetian, and hailed from the land of Dongyi. In the old book of Tang, Dongyi could mean several regions that encompass modern-day Japan and the Korean Peninsula. So we will just say that he's from Dongyi, but not clarify exactly where. Although he does have a Japanese name, so it's more than likely that he hailed from Japan. Mao Poluo was the head of the imperial workshop or held the role of Shang Fangcheng, which was a sixth rank position. His most important work was a pillar or Tian Shu dedicated to then Emperor Wu, the only female emperor in Chinese history. In 694, Turkish forces invaded the Zhou Empire, but Zhou armies were able to withstand the assault and actually pushed the Zhou border further out. As a reminder, because Empress Wu was not of the Li last name, she changed the dynasty to the Zhou dynasty. After the victory, in the same year, Bahrim VII, the Shahanshah of the Sassanian Empire, proposed the construction of a pillar noting Empress Wu's accomplishments. This was completed in 695 by Mao Poluo. This Tian Shu represented the accomplishments of Emperor Wu and how she transformed the fate of Tang under her leadership. In Chinese, Tian Shu also represented Dubei or Alpha Ursae Majoris, the first star in the Big Dipper. She wanted to call this pillar as such to represent her place at the center of the universe and empire. The pillar was said to have been 105 feet tall with a width of 12 feet. The base was built with iron and there were copper mythical beasts surrounding the base. Four dragons wrapped around the pillar with the heads coalescing at the top. The four maws opened wide with a fireball at the top. The pillar itself was engraved with the names of members at court and tribal leaders representing their support for the emperor. Unfortunately, Tian Shu was destroyed during the reign of our current emperor, Tang Xuanzong, 
in 714. Mong Holua also constructed other items such as a thing and zodiac animals for the emperor using over 30 to 40 tons of copper and iron. Rumor was that he used all of the copper and iron in the empire. Not only was he a noted craftsman, but he was also a celebrated artist and was praised by others during the time of Emperor Wu. We discussed in the last episode about the influence of other Japanese bureaucrats. Mompoloa is a prime example of other men traveling from all over the world to Tang to contribute to the empire. One side note, it is unclear of Mao Shun's birth or death, so we can't really pinpoint if Mao Polo or Mao Shun are related at all. Speaking of Mao Shun, when he and Long Bo were trying to enter into the Grand Lantern Tower, the soldiers call him Shang Dengjian, or Lantern Overseer. I believe that role was created just for this drama because I couldn't find any historical counterparts. With all of the characters coalescing for the midnight festivities, the emperor and his court have assembled at Hua E Xianghui Lou. This tower was built in 720 AD during the reign of Emperor Tang Xuanzong and was located in Xinqing Palace in Chang'an. It was known as Tianxia Di Yi Lou or the most famous tower in the world because of its location right in Chang'an and was used as a plaza where the emperor could enjoy performances with his subjects. During the early years of Tang Xuanzong's reign, he was appreciative of his older brother's decision to relinquish his claim to the throne and specifically built Hua E Xianghui Lou to enjoy with his brothers, such as listen to music, eat, drink, play go, etc. In 736, the tower was rebuilt and expanded as the emperor began chasing more earthly pleasures. The name of Hua E Xianghui Lou originates from the Book of Song or Shi Jing, specifically from these phrases. Tang Di Zhi Hua, E Bu Wei Wei. This poem talks about the brotherhood and very much matches with Hua and E, or the flower and sepal. The sepal of a flower supports the bloom. And this is where we get Hua E Xianghui Lou. Unfortunately, the Grand Tower itself was destroyed during the 10th century, and we can only get a glimpse of its grandeur in poems and surviving documents. In Hua Elo, Pan Qi encounters a certain someone. That person is none other than the very famous Yang Yuhuan, or Noble Consort Yang in history. As we mentioned earlier, to pass the censors for this drama, Post-production changed her name from Yang Yuhuan to Yan Yuhuan. What's hilarious is that you can hear the actress Xu Lu's voice dubbed here and there to overlay the new name. For those of you who find her familiar, Xu Lu is the same actress as Yu Rao, or Zhen Huan's younger sister from Empresses in the Palace. Back to Yang Yuhuan. She is one of the most famous women in Chinese history. In this drama, we've heard multiple people speak of her, but when she shows up on screen, perhaps people are surprised to see that she's wearing Taoist nun robes. I'll recount her history up to where she first meets Tan Qi because her story and motivations will also unfold throughout the drama. 
Yang Yuhuan was born in 719 to an aristocratic family. Her father was a census official at the Shu Prefecture, or modern-day Sichuan Chengdu, and she grew up there. She had three sisters and one brother. While each of her sisters are very well known to history, there's not much known about her brother, who most likely was like a cousin. When Yang Yuhuan was 10, her father died and she moved to Luoyang to be raised by her third uncle. Having grown up in an aristocratic family, she was known to have excelled in the arts, especially in dancing and playing the pipa instrument. In 735, when Yang Yuhuan was around 16, she attended the wedding of Princess Xian Yi in Luoyang. The princess's younger brother, the prince of Shou, Li Chang, fell in love at first sight. He was the 18th son of Emperor Tang Xuanzong. Li Chang asked his mother, Consort Wu, to have the emperor bless their marriage, and the two married shortly after. She was titled Shou Wangfei, or the Princess of Shou. Wikipedia noted that Yang Yuhuan married in 733, but the Chinese records had her married in 735, or the 23rd year of the Kaiyuan era. Wikipedia also has the Prince of Shou's name as Li Mao instead of Li Chang. The spelling is almost the same, but not quite. There's one extra line in Li Mao instead of Li Chang. I did a little bit more research as to why there is this discrepancy, and it seems like the old and new book of Tang have Li Mao written, but his tomb has Li Chang. So we are going to go with Li Chang. Again, when you hear it, it seems different, but when you read it, it's basically like the same except for one line. It could have been just a typo. <laughs> the two had only a few years of happy marriage. In 737, then Crown Prince Li Ying was forced to commit suicide, leaving the race for Crown Prince wide open. Her husband, Li Chang, was a prime contender for Crown Prince and was favored by the right chancellor, Li Linfu. He lost this battle due to the death of his mother, Wu Huifei, who was very favored by the emperor. She also died in 737, leaving the emperor deeply saddened. He couldn't find any happiness within his harem and was becoming depressed. Um, you're a man in your 50s. What more do you want? Someone, I don't know who, I don't think there are historical records as to who said this, proposed that this young Yang Yuhuan was a beauty and would fit nicely within the imperial harem. Well, the emperor heard the recommendation, perked right on up and said, yep, let's bring her into the palace. I don't care that she is my living son's wife. She's going to be my concubine. But hey, what would people think of me? Uh, that I basically stole my son's wife? Nah, I can't be that obvious. Oh, I know, I'm going to have her become a Taoist nun who quote-unquote prays for my mother. That'll shut the censors and voila, Yang Yuhuan went from Princess of Shou to a Taoist nun with the tonsured name of Tai Jin in 740. She was only 21 at the time. We are now in the year 744 for the drama and she's been a Taoist nun for several years. It's an open secret that she is the emperor's lover slash concubine, despite being a nun, as seen by her appearance at Hua Elo tonight. 
Since those historical events, there's been a ton of discourse and discussion about her relationship with the emperor, especially how the emperor discarded proper decorum and essentially stole his daughter-in-law for his own personal pleasure. The Tang Dynasty, from the early years of the dynasty up to the reign of this emperor, had some wild stories involving affairs and marriages in the royal harem with different princes, so maybe people weren't as phased by this event. I mean, look at Wu Zetian. She was first bedded by Emperor Li Shimin before becoming his son's empress. In the drama, Yan Taijian recounts how she met Tan Qi back as the princess of Shou. So this probably was sometime between 735 and 737. The two of them will have an interesting development or conversation in the upcoming episodes. Hopefully this provides some color as to all of the hushed-hushed murmurs and discussions around Yang Yuhuan and the emperor earlier on in the drama where people were quite displeased as to what was happening and also about the rise of Yang Yuhuan in the Tang court. I personally feel like if the emperor just took her as a concubine, maybe folks wouldn't have been so against this. The fact that Yang Yuhuan right now is a Taoist nun really is a slap in the face to Taoism. So maybe folks were a bit more peeved about this fact. Well, also, I mean, yo, you're the emperor and you stole your son's wife. Hmm. Speaking of, let me just close out by saying we finally meet the emperor, Tang Xuanzong. We'll see much more of him in the last quarter of this drama, so we'll discuss snippets about his history as we continue with this drama. But people were not super pleased with the actor choice of everyone in the cast. I think he was probably one of the weakest links, and I actually agree. Many other actors who played Tang Xuanzong had a lot more gravitas than the actor who played Tang Xuanzong in this drama. So he seems a lot more weak and frail than what I would have expected Tang Xuanzong to be like at this point in history. In any case, that closes out our discussion of episode 34. We will see more of Tang Xuanzong in future episodes. The music for this episode is Qing Pingyue, played by yours truly, with sheet music by Cui Jianghui. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, please let us know. And remember to leave us a rating. We will catch you all in the next podcast episode.